0: Heavenly Father, I'm deeply humbled that I can be here sharing about you. An infinite, awesome, all-powerful, all-knowing, all-good God. And Lord, as we read Genesis 5 and 6, would it touch our lives? Would it transform us? No matter where we are, whether we're in the ditches, feeling like there's no way up, Or whether we're feeling joyful because of the season ahead. Lord, would we press into your heart? Would we come to know you and serve you above all things? For the glory of Jesus Christ and the joy of your saints, we pray. Amen. So I have a question for you all. Pretty simple question, potentially. Why is the world so corrupt? Why is the world so dangerous? Why is the world so scary? Why is the world so horrifying? Why, why do we see people cheating? Why do we see people killing one another? Killing themselves? Why, when we open the newspaper, is it so horrifying most of the time? Why? 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 Why is our world like this? Why is my heart like this? Why is our city like this? Why is the world so corrupt? As we read Genesis 5 and 6, the answer becomes clear. It's because our hearts are corrupt. It's because our hearts are dangerous. It's because our hearts are scary. And it's because our hearts are, are horrifying. And God will judge this. It's called sin. And it's not something we talk about nowadays. Sin, this rebellion against God, these crimes against God, that there's this perfect God who created this great, good world. He said it was very good. And He created a man and a woman, Adam and Eve, in this world that he called very good. And he had one commandment. They were in this garden. They're supposed to take care of it. They're supposed to take care of the animals. They're supposed to take care of one another. They're supposed to be in a perfect relationship with God. But they chose rebellion. God said, don't eat of this fruit in this tree called the knowledge of good and evil. This tree in the center of the garden You can eat of any tree, but please don't eat of it. And what do they do? They take it and they eat it. And sin enters into the world and it corrupts human hearts indefinitely. This one sin, this one rebellion, this one crime against God brought death to the entire human race and it cursed all of us. It's an infection. Sin is an infection that entered humanity into all of us and it brought shame and it brought fear, it brought guilt, and it brought death, not just to our bodies, but to our souls, eternal death. Genesis 5 and 6, it shows us the horrible effects of sin. As we open it up, chapter 5. It says this. This is the written account of the descendants of Adam. So Adam is the first man that God created. When God created human beings, He made them to be like Himself. This is what we call the image of God. They are made in the image of God. We are made in the image of God. We are created to be creative. We are created to tend to His world. We are created as image bearers. He created them male and female, and he blessed them and called them human. When Adam was 130 years old, he became the father of a son who was just like him in his very image. He named his son Seth. Seth is Adam's third son. After the birth of Seth, Adam lived another 800 years, and he had other sons and daughters. Adam lived 930 years, and then he died at a very young 930 years old, by the way. <laughs> and so you're listening to this, and maybe you're like, this is the first time I've ever heard of this. This is the first time I've ever heard the Bible. I thought it was ridiculous, and this confirms it. Did you just say, that man lived to be 800 years old? Did you just say that other man, wait, same man, lived to be 930 years old, and then he died? Did you just say that? I did. And so there's different views on this age. I have to address this because it's a bit of an elephant of that, that sentence. We'll talk about the rest of this chapter, but we're just going to address the age for a second. So, so Adam died at 930 years. Some people think, oh, it's just, um, it's just a figurative age. So maybe they count years differently, like dog years. These are dog years. Of course, it's very scientific. I like dog years. I like, I like dog years. So, yeah, maybe they're dog years. Well, maybe they just, um, maybe it's just like an expression. Maybe 930 is just some sort of strange, ancient expression that we don't understand in the 21st century. 800 and 900 years old, that's a bit odd. Well, it's not if you think about it. How long do you think a person would live if the genetics were perfect? There was no disease. There was no pain. It was good. How long would that person live? A long time. Forever. Right? We were meant to live forever. That was the initial design. If that were the case, if you can have a place where there's no cancer, no strep throat, no flu, nothing, genetically you're perfect, you would live forever. But sadly, that's not the case now. the number continues to dwindle and we don't see people living much longer than about 120 which we'll actually talk about later but yes I believe that these numbers are years 365 rotations around the Sun or however it works we're talking real years yes let us continue When Seth was 105 years old, he became the father. Nobody's having kids at 105, by the way. It's not safe. It's not good. Verse 7, after the birth of Enosh, Seth lived another 807 years, and he had other sons and daughters. Seth lived 912 years, and then he died. Verse 9, when Enosh was 90 years old, he became the father of Kenan. After the birth of Kenan, Enosh lived another 815 years, and he had other sons and daughters. Enosh lived... 905 years, and then he died. (laughs) When you read stuff like this, if you've ever read the Bible at any point, this is a chapter you just skip over. Really. Who's done that? I've done that. There's genealogies in the Bible, and you're like, uh, Enosh, Seth, okay, yeah, maybe. Let's get to the good stuff. Let's fast forward here. But we shouldn't do that. Because every word in the Bible is profitable, it's God-breathed, it's meaningful, it's useful. So you shouldn't skip over these. And I'm going to explain what's up with this genealogy. What's up with Adam? What's up with Seth? What's up with, who do we got? Enosh. What's up with this genealogy? So in ancient cultures, and even some modern ones, People are very interested in family origins, so where you came from. Maybe you have a family tree in your house, you got Uncle Bob, you got great-grandpa Joey, and so on. People take that very seriously, family origins. That's why we have things like Ancestry.com, MyHeritage.com, people want to know about their DNA, where they're from. Ancient cultures, modern cultures, they take genealogies very seriously. And genealogies also fit into the biblical theme of continuing generations. So God says, I'm going to bless you and your generations to come. And this is a theme that goes through the entire Bible. It's a generational promise and you're following these people. And these genealogies show that God has an important place for every person. That we're not just a number. That these people aren't just a number. You have a name. God knows you individually. You're not just in a system. You are a person. And God places importance on every individual. And genealogies also show us that the Bible is a historical book. The genealogies show us that the Bible is a historical book, not just a fictional book. So we can read all these names. Adam, oh, this, this fairy tale, Adam and Enosh. No, no, no. This is, this is setting the stage right away that these are real people who lived amongst us on earth in time. And genealogies are important, that's why we have genealogies. So if you read future genealogies, this is the first, Well, the second actually, the first was actually in chapter 4. This is Seth's genealogy. So Seth had this kid, this kid had this kid, this kid had this kid, and you have this Seth line. And in chapter 5 of Genesis, it's presenting an alternative lineage, genealogy, to his brother, Cain. Cain had a genealogy. And we read it in Genesis chapter 4, verses 7 to 18. And it says, Enoch had a son named Irad. Irad became the father of Mahuhalel. Mahuhalel. Maybe. Became the father of Methushale. These are great kids' names, by the way. Jody, maybe you want to take some notes. <laughs> Methushal became the father of Lamech. So there's actually this other genealogy. So there's this Seth genealogy and there's this Cain theology or genealogy. And it's sharing us with us a story here. That those who come from the line of Seth are right before God and God blesses this lineage and you'll notice in Cain's genealogy it doesn't go to the extent of even age or their kid or when they died it's just Enoch had a son named Arad Arad became the father of Mahuelel. Mehualel became the father of Methusel Methusel became the father of Lem. it's just very that line is done but the Seth line it continues the genealogy of Cain it gives no ages since his bloodline is being cursed by God because he murdered his brother and this line is not blessed by God, there is no eternal history to the Cain line. But Seth's, Seth's line, his genealogy, gives us the age of the firstborn, the number of years that he lived after the birth, and then the total years of his life. So we got to... When we see something like that, the first genealogy, was no detail, but this one, there's so much detail, and there's actually a rhythm here, and try to find the rhythm as we read it. Verse 12, When Kenan was 70 years old, he became the father of Mahalalel. After the birth of Mahalalel, Kenan lived another 840 years, and he had other sons and daughters. Kenan lived 910 years, and then he died. When Mahalalel was 65 years old, he became the father of Jared, After the birth of Jared, Mahalalel lived another 830 years and he had other sons and daughters. Mahalalel lived 895 years and then he died. When Jared was 162 years old, he became the father of Enoch. After the birth of Enoch, Jared lived another 800 years. He had other sons and daughters. Jared lived 962 years and then he died. Did you notice the phrase that keeps getting repeated? What was that phrase? And then he died, and then he died, and then he died. There's almost this drumbeat. Every verse, it's this person lived to this age. He became the father of this guy. After the birth of this guy, he lived another this many years. And it's the same pattern and rhythm for the whole chapter. And then he died. This is the only place in the Bible where this appears so frequently. And once that happens like that, When you're reading the Bible, you have to take notice. And it shows us that God's curse of death, He made in Genesis chapter 2, verse 17. He said, you can eat of any tree except the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Why? If you eat this fruit, you are sure to die. You are sure to die. And what happens? This reality, this promise is becoming true. And then he died, and then he died, and then he died. We pick it up in verse 21. When Enoch was 65 years old, he became the father of Methuselah. After the birth of Methuselah, Enoch lived in close fellowship with God for another 300 years. And he had other sons and daughters. Enoch lived 365 years walking in close fellowship with God. Then one day he disappeared because God took him. The pattern has now been broken. It used to be, and then he died, and then he died, and then he died. But this verse, verse 23, it ends with, then one day he disappeared because, because God took him. We read on. When Methuselah was 187 years old, he became the father of Lamech. After the birth of Lamech, Methuselah lived another 782 years. He had other sons and daughters. Methuselah lived 969 years, and then he died. When Lamech was 182 years old, He became the father of a son. Lamech named his son Noah. For he said, May he bring us relief from our work and the painful labor of farming this ground that the Lord has cursed. We have this guy Noah now introduced in the scene. And for the first time, there's an explanation or a longing with this new birth. Lamech named his son Noah, for he said, May he bring us relief from our work and the painful labor of farming this ground that the Lord has cursed. That was part of the the curse of sin, was that the, the people who would work the ground, it would be hard, it would be difficult. And so Lamech welcomes Noah. And may he bring us relief from our work and the painful labor of farming this ground that the Lord has cursed. Noah, his name in Hebrew it sounds like relief. It sounds like comfort. So now you're... If you're reading this, as you're reading the Bible, your, your ear now tunes into this Noah character. Who's Noah? Why should we care about Noah? We keep reading in verse 30. After the birth of Noah, Lamech lived another 595 years. I'm going to have an exam on these years, by the way, so you better be writing these down. You will not eat unless you get all of these right. Hold for, hold for laughter. After the birth of Noah, Lamech lived another 595 years and he had other sons and daughters. Lamech lived 777 years and then he died. After Noah was 500 years old, he became the father of Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Noah comes. Noah. Maybe Noah. Maybe through the line of Seth, through Noah, he will reverse the curse. Maybe Noah will reverse the curse. But as we're reading about Adam and Noah, you have to ask, is this a real guy? Is Adam real or is it just fairy tale? Adam and Eve in this garden. Is it just this fairy tale land? Is Noah a real person? And for those of you who are not familiar who Noah is, spoiler alert, he builds this big boat called an ark, called Noah's ark. You've probably seen cutesy drawings of Noah on a boat with all these animals and giraffes heads popping out of the windows. Those images are misinformed. We'll find out next week when Adam Star- or Andrew Stark preaches and that this is a very devastating time in our history. But Noah, is he a real person? That's a fair question. If he's not real, I'm just talking nonsense. Don't listen to me. But I believe he is real. And this is my argument. Jesus talks about Noah. So now I'm talking about Jesus. So Jesus, who's Jesus? So Jesus, 2,000 years ago, came to this world and claimed to be God. There's no credible historian that would say Jesus was not a historical figure. In fact, this man who lives to be about 30 and is crucified, is executed on this cross, some scholars, non-Christian scholars say that is the most solid fact we have about Jesus. So Jesus is a real person and now he's referring to Noah. Jesus, who claims to be God, who teaches much of what we call the New Testament, talks about Noah. And he does, not in, for instance, in a book called Luke. So Luke writes an account of what people did and saw when Jesus was walking the earth. In chapter 17 of Luke, verses 26 to 27, this is what Jesus says. Just as it was in the days of Noah, so also will it be in the days of the Son of Man. Son of Man is another word for God. People were eating, drinking, marrying, and being given in marriage up to the day Noah entered the ark. Then the flood came and destroyed them all. So this is my argument. Noah is a real person because Jesus talks about him. Okay. Why Why is that a convincing argument? It was not practice of the practice of Jesus or any of these teachers of the Bible to refer to fairy tale figures as historical people. You, you wouldn't go say, like, if I were to drive home a point, I wouldn't say, hey, do you remember when RoboCop saw... Man, I don't remember this movie. Let's do a different movie. What do I know? What have I seen recently? Toy Story. You got Buzz Lightyear. Remember when Buzz Lightyear and Woody, they're going to go rescue the toys from the daycare, and then I'm going off about that. And you're like, yeah, that's great, but that's a movie. Woody is not real. And then at that point, I cry because I think he's real. No, Jesus doesn't do that. He doesn't refer to fake fairy tales. He says, Noah is a real person. In that passage, he straightforwardly talks about Noah as a real person who is also his ancestor. So, why do we care about genealogies? Because if you trace it throughout the entire Bible, it lands on one person Jesus Christ. Noah is a descendant of Seth, who is an ancestor of Jesus. So, Noah is real. Okay, Noah is real. Is Adam real? Adam and Eve, this garden fig leaf thing, situation. Is this a fairy tale? Is this a, is this a veggie tale? No. I use the same argument. Jesus is a real person. The way he teaches, authoritatively, and as God, he talks about Adam. So there's another book in the Bible called Matthew, in chapter 19, Verses four to five. When when people are asking him, because he's bringing all these new teachings to the world, so now he's in this book, Matthew, chapter nineteen, verse five, and people are asking him about his teachings on divorce. And when they ask him about divorce, this is what Jesus said, verse four. Haven't you read the scriptures? Jesus replied. They record that from the beginning, God made them male and female. And he said, this explains why man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife and the two are united as one. He's referring to the beginning. The beginning when he made man and woman, Adam and Eve. Adam is real. Noah is real. There is no room for fairy tale here. For any Christian scholar... They start saying Noah and Adam are fake. You just close your ears and you walk away and you say you're wrong, sir. Jesus refers to them as real. Or ma'am, or ma'am. Sin has entered the world, but we're looking for something Someone that will save us from sin. And as we get into Genesis 6, the picture isn't much better. It provides this worldwide picture of increasing human wickedness. Evil is multiplied faster than the population. And sin has spread through the entire earth, has entered and infected all people. And we get a horrible picture of what that looks like. So we're opening up in chapter 6. Verse one. Then the people began to multiply on the earth, and daughters were born to them. The sons of God saw the beautiful women and took any they wanted as their wives. Then the Lord said, My spirit will not put up with humans for such a long time, for they are only mortal flesh. In the future, their normal lifespan will be no more than 120 years. Let's look at this one phrase here in, in verse 2 of chapter 6. It says, The sons of God. The sons of God. So it's not a literal son. Whenever sons of God is used in many points in the Old Testament, it's referring to angels. So we're not just talking regular human beings. We're talking fallen angels, potentially demons. And these demon angels are marrying Women, and they're just taking them. It says, verse 2 in chapter 6, the sons of God saw the beautiful women and took any they wanted as their wives. This is a picture. This is an exact picture of when the first people were in the Garden of Eden and it said, and they took the fruit where they just, without, cons- without uh, speaking with God, asking God's permission, they just took it. They just took it. The sons of God saw the beautiful women and they took what they wanted as their wives. And then the Lord said, My spirit will not put up with the humans for such a long time, for they're only mortal flesh. In the future, the normal lifespan will be no more than 120 years. It's this horrible picture. You have have angels. These half angels, half men. We're not sure exactly what these creatures are, but they're just taking these women... And before we start thinking, well, you should be thinking, where where was the father? Where was the family? It was not normal at that time for a daughter to be married without the parent's permission. So there's nothing in this text that says the father wasn't saying, get married, daughter. Go for it. There is no mention in the text where it says the mother was not saying, This is okay. This is a legitimate marriage. And if everybody's corrupt, they're letting their daughters go to these beings. And sin is spreading through humanity. It's bringing corruption to marriages. It's shortening lifespans. Which we get from verse 3. Their normal lifespan will be no more than 120 years. I need to add a caveat to this verse There's two ways to interpret it. Either the lives of human beings will no longer exceed 120 years at some point, or it refers to when God is going to bring a great flood. So it's either lives are going to be shortened to 120 years somewhere in the future, or there's going to be a coming flood in 120 years. We don't see many people living longer than, I think, recently. I think the oldest person in the world today that is recorded is 123 years. We've gone from 900 to 120. But we went from, we were supposed to live forever and go, with God. And now, even the Bible says the normal lifespan is between 70 and 80 years old. We get that from Psalm chapter 90, verse 10. It says, 70 years are given to us. Some even live to 80, but even the best years are filled with pain and trouble. Soon they disappear and we fly away. What that 120 years exactly refers to is not essentially crucial, but what is crucial is sin is corrupting lives, and our lives are shortening. It continues in verse 4. In those days and for some time after, giant Nephilites lived on the earth, For whenever the sons of God had intercourse with women, they gave birth to children who became the heroes and famous warriors of ancient times. These Nephilites, we're not exactly sure what they are. Literally, it's translated fallen ones. is a reminder of the fallen condition of humanity and it's eroding. And there's increasing perversion and corruption and selfishness and greed. I'm not going to get a lot into these angels and demons, but if you want to know more, about the beginning things and angels and demons, I recommend that you do check out Establish on Thursday nights, 7 p.m. at Mountain View Church. This week, we're going to be talking about how God created the heavens and the angels. If you want to dig into that more, I encourage you to go there on Thursdays. But we're continuing in in chapter 6. The Lord observed the extent of human wickedness on the earth, and He saw that everything they thought or imagined was consistently and totally evil. I'm going to read that again. This is a very vital sentence in chapter 6. The Lord observed the extent of human wickedness on the earth and He saw that everything they thought or imagined was consistently and totally evil. This verse concisely describes The universal intensity and the pervasiveness of human wickedness and sin. He saw that everything they thought or imagined was consistently and totally evil. So the Lord was sorry He had ever made them. It put them on the earth. It broke His heart. And the Lord said, I will wipe this human race I have created from the face of the earth. Yes, I will destroy every living thing. All the people, the large animals, the small animals that scurry along the ground, and even the birds in the sky, I'm sorry I ever made them. But Noah, but Noah found favor with the Lord. The sins of humanity is now bringing God's judgment. And it's not a pretty picture. Humanity is now horribly wicked and evil. And God would bring a flood. End that generation. Except for whose family? Noah. Except for Noah. In verse 9 of chapter 6, this is the account of Noah and his family. Noah was a righteous man, the only blameless person living on the earth at the time, and he walked in close fellowship with God. Noah was the father of three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Now God saw that the earth had been corrupt and was filled with violence. God observed all this corruption in the world. For everyone on earth was corrupt. So God said to Noah, I have decided to destroy all living creatures for they have filled the earth with violence. Yes, I will wipe them all out along with the earth. Genesis chapter 6 verse 11 to 12 is contrasting Noah with the corruption of the world in God's sight. He says, I'm going to destroy. I've seen the wickedness of humanity and it breaks my heart. And we're going to start all over. I'm going to start all over with you, Noah. This is what you're going to do. Verse 14. Build a large boat from cypress wood and waterproof it with tar, inside and out. Then construct decks and stalls throughout its interior. Make the boat 450 feet long Seventy-five feet wide and forty-five feet high leave an 18-inch opening below the roof All the way around the boat put the door on the side and build three docks inside the boat lower middle and upper Look, I'm about to cover the earth with a flood that will destroy every living thing that breathes Everything on earth will die, but I will confirm my covenant with you So enter the boat you and your wife and your sons and their wives Bring a pair of every kind of animal, a male and a female, into the boat, and you with you to keep them alive during the flood. Pairs of every kind of bird, and every kind of an animal, and every kind of small animal that scurries along the ground will come to you to be kept alive. And be sure to take on board enough food for your family and for all the animals. And the chapter closes, verse 22. So Noah did everything exactly as God had commanded him. Noah's Ark is not a good story. I have a little book at home and you can pop it open and you can build this little boat and throw animals in there. But nowhere does it say, I've decided to destroy all living creatures for they have filled the earth with violence. Yes, I will wipe them all out along with the earth. That's not the picture you get with these cartoons. God's judgment has come upon upon sin and he's taken drastic measures. And He's telling Noah, I'm going to destroy the world, but through you I'm going to save it. I need you to build a boat. A huge boat and I need you to wrangle animals and get them in there I'm gonna kill everything I'm gonna flood the earth what would you do that was asked of you I need you to build me a boat one and a half size the size of a football field fill it with animals I think are you crazy with what with who with Shem with ham With Japheth and my wife and their... No. What did Noah do? Noah did everything exactly as God had commanded him. And this is why when we read in the New Testament, Noah is one of the great examples of what it means to live by faith. God tells Noah something that sounds ridiculous. But Noah did everything exactly as God had commanded him. We read in this book called Hebrews chapter 11, verse 7. It was by faith that Noah built the large boat to save his family from the flood. He obeyed God. He warned him about the things that had never happened before. By his faith, Noah condemned the rest of the world and he received the righteousness that comes by faith. The Christian life is about living by faith. By faith we obey God. By faith we trust in God. When it's hard. When the, when the world around us is corrupt and sin has entered. And sin always wants to corrupt us. And it continues to do so. It's a disease, sin. And it separates man from God. And that's what was happening. And God says, I'm going to do a hard reset with this flood and when we're separated from our maker by our sin, the wages of sin is death. We get that from Romans chapter 6, verse 23. And the world around us is crumbling. And our rebellion against God always incurs a cost. But God is going to cleanse our sin once and for all. As we follow this Seth genealogy, through Noah and his family, we see that Jesus Christ, God's only begotten Son, will pay for the sins of the earth. Scripture says that he who knew no sin became sin, that by faith in him you may receive the righteousness of God. Jesus Christ has paid for our sins. We no longer, we do not, and we can never earn it or work for it. Jesus Christ paid for sin once and for all. And by faith in what He has done, we earn Jesus Christ's innocence. He lived a perfect life before God. Every moment of His life. And He says, Come to Me, all you are weary and heavy laden. I will give you rest. Rest from your striving. I forgive you. I forgive you. That is our desperate need is forgiveness because we all screw up. And that screw up comes from our heart being corrupt from the disease of sin. And we get this imagery of water that just goes throughout the entire Bible. Right in the beginning, there's this watery chaos. And then we're reading about this flood. And then later we read about a man named Moses who parts the Red Sea to free his people. And then we read about later in the New Testament about Jesus as water flows from His side and that we, as believers, are to be baptized in water to enter into this life. The Bible is this one story and is all about Jesus Christ and what He has done. And by faith alone, we trust in the cleansing work of Jesus Christ. And God judges sin but Jesus Christ pays for it. And it's not on our own efforts. We can never earn our place in heaven. We can never earn a right relationship with God. But we must know this. If there's one application I want to give each of us, it's that the evil in the world comes from our hearts. And that change must begin by acknowledging that I am part of the problem. I am a sinner. My heart is wicked. Lord, I need a new heart. Cleanse me. Please forgive me. Help me to trust in you and what you've done. Not on our own efforts. Our hearts must change. Our politics is not going to save us. Voting conservative is not going to save us. The right president is not going to save us. The right program is not going to save us. The right friends is not going to save us. Jesus Christ says, I have come to seek and save the lost, and you go to Him. You go to Him alone. Not on our own efforts. We must be changed from the heart. Andrew Stark, if you wouldn't mind standing up, he's going to be speaking on one of the most famous events in the Bible, the flood itself. We're just learning about Noah and what led to the flood. But Andrew Stark, thank you for teaching next week. Uh, My family and I, we're going to be on a holiday. And uh, Andrew's going to be preaching next week. And then Derek Baker, uh, a missionary, will be speaking the next week. Please pray with me. Heavenly Father, where do we begin? You're so good. You're so amazing. Lord, help us. Help us to know the corruption of our hearts and the goodness of your forgiveness, that it would transform everything in our lives and everything in our territory, that we would be in love with you. Lord, we struggle. We continue to struggle. But we thank you that you forgive us and that the work is finished.